figure out what makes you different. I think the biggest thing that I have seen so far, because all the things I'm working on, I mean, I'm, I'm a small town guy. I don't have a huge network. I'm not the smartest guy in the world by far. And even for the things I'm working on, they're very small right now. Like the Zap idea I've been working on, it's just wireframes and a decent pitch deck. My YouTube channel even still only has about 200 subscribers. And then the company I'm working on is only doing like four or five figures in terms of revenue. So it's not major, but putting yourself in the right places, taking chances and being different more than anything will get people to notice you. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com. We're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, uh, Destin Bell. And to give you a kind of a brief introduction, so from a young age, uh, Destin was always uh, interested in entrepreneurship. So I think he sold candy, um, sold and bought and flipped things as he was growing up, went to college to learn a bit more. Um, Freshman year of college helped uh, companies build their brands. And then uh, towards the senior started started a company to help entrepreneurs graduated right around COVID, which is a great time to graduate, or or maybe not, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, was doing a a bit of businesses that relied on uh, in-person networks, Um, and I think even made a film about Kobe Bryant, went to a film festival, um, COVID came along, was in a bit of scramble mode, uh, moved, uh, moved back in with the parents for a period of time, um, decided that uh, wanted to move back out, went down to Austin, Texas to uh, push himself a bit outside his bubble. And this was about back in October. And then in, uh, got into a bit of angel investments uh, with the business and idea, gave a guy um, and then uh, got into a little bit more started, had a guy or jump in, help him out and uh, started on some other side hustles that he'll get into as well. So lots of things going on. And with that much as introduction, welcome on the podcast, Destin. Glad to be here. Appreciate you for having me. So I gave kind of the quick uh, run through of your your whole journey, but let's go back a little bit, kind of starting in your entrepreneur journey when you were doing everything from buying and selling uh, things and flipping them to selling candy and tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, man. So I like to put it like this. I had everything I wanted, everything I needed, but nothing I wanted as a kid. So I was lucky enough to have two parents with decent paying jobs. So I had, you know, a roof over my head, food in my stomach, even though the food they made wasn't all that great. I could still technically eat something. But then if I wanted new shoes or clothes or an Xbox, they would say, well, get a job. It's like, I'm, I'm 11, what am I supposed to do? Where, where can I get one of those legally? So it just turned into a need, a necessity for me to start finding ways to make money. And so at 11, not a lot of stuff you can do. You can't really put in an application to your local Sears or Kmart or McDonald's at that point. So I figured, well, what can I do? I thought, well, there's a Gordon food service about a couple miles down the road. I could ride my bike, go grab a 52 pack of candy bars for like 25 bucks. I could sell them for a dollar, make $27 off each box. And then I could just start buying them and just keep doing it. School lunch is terrible. So people are going to buy from me. <laughs> <laughs> so I started doing that and then I would go through a whole box a day. And back then, you know, $27 an hour, I might as well have been, you know, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or something like that. I was balling. <laughs> And so I realized, oh, you know, this is actually a lot of fun. I was having fun. It mm. was engaging. And I was making more money than I'd ever made at the whopping age of 11. Super mm. shocky that that shocks you. $27 a lot. 
for age of a lot of people even uh, yeah. after you've gone to school isn't bad so at 11 that's that's rolling yeah. into the dough Right. So uh, from there, I was like, okay, you know, what other entrepreneurial things could I do? I didn't even know what entrepreneurship was at that point. It was just hustling to me. And mm -hmm. so that turned into me cutting grass, shoveling snow. I would ghostwrite rap lyrics for my friends. I would help them with their scholarship essays. I would buy shoes and I would sell shoes. Uh, just anything I could figure out to make money where I could sell something for more than I bought it mm -hmm. for, or I could offer a service to somebody that they would be willing to pay me for. And so I did that throughout high school, was luckily able to do that alongside working jobs and put myself in a good financial position. So when I got to college, I really didn't need to work that much. I did get a job, so I'm a workaholic. I need to do something, but I wasn't doing anything crazy. I was an mm -hmm. event coordinator and a server at one of our like local um, little dineries on campus or something like that. And then I got this idea into my freshman year. This is the best thing that came out of my relationship at the time where me and my girlfriend at the time we were arguing about what we should do and then the only thing we really knew how to do was either go watch a movie go to the mall or go to a party wasn't feeling any movies didn't want to spend any money and i was honestly tired of partying and it was like well, what else can we do and you know guy guy the relationship it's up to me to make a decision even though she'll say no to everything i decide she won't tell me what she wants me to do mm -hmm. and i realized those are the only three things i know how to do like the only activities I've ever engaged in since I've been in college. I figured, well, that's dumb. There's got to be more than that. And so I did my research, started looking around. So oh, there's a lot of cool stuff to do here in Lexington, Kentucky. That's where the University of Kentucky is where I went. And I realized, hmm, well, there's a need here where on the student end, students need to know about things that are going on so they can actually participate. And discounts wouldn't hurt. And then on the other end, businesses are looking to get more college students into the community off of campus doing things with their business with their events etc and they'd be willing to give somebody who could create those leads a percentage of whatever money they brought them and also mm -hmm. offer discounts to those students as a way to get them in the door and so i figured i put those two things together and came up with this platform life off you which is pun on a play on words i thought was super clever and nobody ever got it so i just figured no nah, names don't matter as much as i thought they did but life of you life of university uh worked with brands like sky zone breakout games lift and some other brands helping them with lead gen for students in the city. Did that for about two years, did a good job. That was my stepping stone business in my mind. I learned a ton, didn't get rich, but I learned a lot, made some great connections. I was working on another company that was based around pretty much being like a personal CRM where you would be able to better categorize and relate, manage your, your network. Think of like uh, Salesforce meeting the contacts in your iPhone, basically. Then mm. big, like I mentioned what you said, it was a big, a big proponent of it was that in-person networking piece. And with COVID, not a lot of handshaking in the same networking event <laughs> for a good amount of time. So it pretty much went under. Then that's around the time I graduated. I had a whole bunch of different projects I was working on beyond that startup. I was running this entrepreneurship so One question real quick. So you so you yeah. had that kind of go go under, you know, you're in, still in school, right? You're still doing it. Yep. So were you just saying, okay, I'll just take a break or, hey, I'd still like the side hustle, still like the money, still like to do it or kind of, how did you kind of decide what to do after that one went away or that was is no longer an option? So once that happened, up to that point, we had been making a lot of pivots because we had an idea of something that would be more so like a digital card scanner. Then we realized, oh, there's actually a lot of those. That's not really compelling. So what can we do? Then we made the pivot about three months after we had built this app, it was basically a digital card scanner. So, oh, well, maybe we could set up something that's more of a CRM where the digital card piece of it is there as a way for it to just build into the workflow of starting to put information into the system. 
But the crux of it, where we would actually differentiate ourselves from some of the different competitors out there would be this ability to take this metadata that you gather from these people that you meet and turn that into these categories and different drill down data. You could say, hey, who, like to say, hey, who do I know who's good with IP and patents and different things like that? Instead of having to go on LinkedIn and scour the net to try to find a new guy, I could remember, oh, you know what? I know Devin. I haven't talked to Devin in like two years, but he's a guy who does IP and patent law stuff. Instead of me go out here and try to find a new IP and patent guy, let me just use the one that I have in my network. Because a lot of people don't remember the people they have in their network and what they're useful for and how they can be valuable to them. So they keep looking and expanding their network. And while expanding your network is important, I feel like growing and actually managing and leveraging the people you already know is probably equally more effective and just generally would just be easier. But then we made that pivot. We were working on that. Then COVID hit. And we needed to make another pivot to move more into this remote setting, virtual setting. And I'll be honest with you, at that point, I was kind of gassed because we were just running into a lot of pitfalls. And I was already kind of hitting that senioritis a bit. So I was getting lazier. I didn't feel like making another pivot. The team was kind of exhausted. And we kind of just scrapped it at that point. Mm. So, so that was just how that went. And I was hoping maybe one day we'd start it back up. Haven't really got any new legs on that. And I've been kind of busy with some of these new projects. So I haven't really been that worried about it. But who knows? One day, if nobody solved that problem by the time I got more free time, I'll try again. But mm. with all that stuff with COVID, you know, I graduated because that went under. I was hoping that was going to be the thing that would be able to give me some money to put in my pocket, whether it be cash flowing or getting some money invested and using that as my salary to pay my way out of college. That didn't happen. Couldn't get a job. Was living with my parents specifically my dad because of the divorce at the moment. One quick question on that, on the, so you kind of graduate and say, okay, I had some plans of we had the business or startup we were going, thought it would be successful, take off, get towards the end of graduation, COVID hits and you're saying, okay, these businesses and the ideas and what we're going to pursue aren't going to necessarily work out. So as you're graduating, did you start, you know, did you say, Hey, I I still want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go home for a period of time and I'll figure out what I want to do. Or did you start applying for every job that was out there and saying, Hey, I'll get a job, get some income and then figure it out. Or kind of as you're graduating and looking at kind of the future and you're also seeing COVID and other things come along, how did you kind of tackle that? Well, in front of the world, front facing, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't need a job. When adversity comes, I hit harder, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what I said outwardly. Mm. And it sounded good. But internally, I was like, man, let me put in this application to Google and Apple. And I heard that this company was hiring salespeople and this and that because I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've been under a cushion of comfort for my whole life to be able to do entrepreneurial things. Like, as a kid, I didn't really pay any bills. I had a house. I had parents who had jobs. I was in a well enough situation that the money that I brought in for the most part was not the money that was needed to pay for the things that I needed to live. So Mm. I just had freedom to be able to try things. And in college, I still had part-time jobs and I was on scholarship, which I mean, it didn't cover everything, but it was enough for me to have a little bit of extra money. And so I had comfort there as well. Plus being a student, the fact that I just didn't get drunk and party every night was enough for people to invest in me. Like, oh, wow, you're 19 and you actually care about your life already? Well, we'll give you an opportunity. So I had a cushion there too. And now I'm graduating. I can't be the college student with the high ambition that people invest in. Now I'm an adult. I'm an adult. I don't want to live with my parents past college. So that's not a cushion I wanted to have anymore. So as much as I wanted to be an entrepreneur, At that point, I didn't have an idea that I was so 
wholeheartedly behind that I felt like, oh, I could turn this into something that would help me be able to pay for my existence to say, oh yeah, I'm just going all in on that. Like I was looking for it, but I was also mm. trying to hedge my bets and put in applications on the side of doing some market research for ideas. Hmm. No, it makes, definitely makes sense. So, you know, and I think that's a lot of times, hey, you have the outward front, and then you're saying, okay, now internally, how do I feel about this? What am I going to do? And you start to do a bit of this, that scramble. So now you're saying, okay, as I'm figuring this out, as I'm going to go in, you know, take a bit of time to see what I am passionate about, what I may want to put my endeavors, also, you know, continue to push on the job market, see what you can find. You look at all that. You know, so that kind of brings you up to a few, you know, what, six months ago or five, six months ago, how did, you know, as you're taking that time, as you're at home, how did that go? Because I think at one point you said, hey, I got to push myself out of my bubble, go somewhere else and try something new. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So like I said, right then and there, I was looking for jobs. I couldn't find one. I didn't have an idea I liked. I was like every degenerate young person who started realizing that, oh, I can make money off of stocks around this time. So I started throwing money in Robinhood and whatnot because I had all this free time. And I'd already been investing, but it was more so more of an index and something I was actively day trading on at that point and made some money, then lost it all, making some degenerate option calls on Tesla. You know, thank you, Elon. I appreciate you for your tweets. Uh, So I lost all my money. I didn't have anything. So I didn't have a job. I didn't have an apartment because my college apartment had run out of its lease at that point. Didn't have a business. So I was basically running on about $2,000 to my name with no cushion of any kind. So I moved back in with my dad for about two months. And during that time, it was, it was a dark time for me because I was staying on an air mattress in his attic. And the whole time I had these ideas, because some of the ideas I'm working on now, I even had those back in July, August. But I didn't have the confidence to pursue them wholeheartedly. Mm. Because anytime I would tell my dad, hey, dad, you know, I've got connected to this esports company and they gave me this money to sponsor my YouTube channel and different stuff like that. He's like, oh, that's great. But what about those job applications I told you to put in? How are those going? It's like, okay. So, but I have this idea for an app and we're doing this program right now. I'm getting a ton of great user feedback. It's like, hmm. But so does that mean that you already finished putting in that application to um, Brown Foreman or, or are you telling me this because you haven't done that yet? So anytime I would say something entrepreneurial, it was always met with resistance of grow up, that's childish. You need to be more strategic. You got to stop being a child and thinking that you can do everything you want to do. You need to be realistic and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even if you don't fully believe it, you hear that constantly from people who you trust to give you good feedback. And then also when you reflect on where you are, I mean, it doesn't give me a lot of confidence to go against the grain when I'm waking up in an attic on an air mattress every day. So you start believing that kind of stuff. And one day I had a really, really crappy day. And I woke up the next day and thought, you know what? I'm, I'm done with that. I don't want to feel that anymore. Even if I go broke, I want to know that I gave myself a fighting chance versus just settling. So I decided before I, my feet even touched the ground that morning, that I'm going to move to Austin, Texas, because I had heard it was a really cool place. I'd never been, I had no family there, no friends there. I only had about $2,000 saved. And at the time, my only real consistent work was working for $8 an hour for an ag tech company writing blog posts. But I said, screw it, I'm just gonna do it. And if it doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out. But if I try, the worst case scenario is I'm gonna be exactly where I started. So pack my bags. Um, luckily I found a guy who was really great. He was also in a similar situation to me, about two years older, but also living with his parents trying to find where he wanted to go. And I was like, Hey man, and we had never met before. We had met through this program that we did online and we had just chatted over phone, zoom, 
texts, et cetera, for about two months. And I knew that he was also looking for a change for his life. And I said, hey, dude, you ever been to Austin? Nope, he said. Like, well, do you have any money saved? Nope. Do you have a job? Nope. Do you like any of these things? Nope. Well, let's start over in Austin. He's like, all right, cool. Screw it. <laughs> so I got in my car. He hopped in the Amtrak. We came down here, got here the 1st of October. And I mean, since then, you know, we've been able to, for, our, for ourselves, just been able to find new opportunities just by getting out of our comfort zone and taking chances. So you guys, so it sounds like you guys kind of went to Austin looking both of you to get out of your bubble, but not necessarily having job or employment or even a, or necessarily a startup lined up. You're just saying, Hey, we're going to go get out of our bubble, get a bit inspired, you know, make our, you know, make ourselves get out there type of a thing rather than sitting, you know, sitting where you guys were at. And so, you know, so you move down there, you guys get into that situation. How did it go? Were you guys able to get something going? Did you get something started? Were you scrambling to get jobs? Were you couch surfing or kind of how did that go? All of the above. <laughs> so we got here and we're staying at this Airbnb and it wasn't the nastiest place in the world. I won't say that, but it wasn't the Ritz-Carlton either. It was two bedroom, one bath, 500 square feet. When I first got there, didn't have air conditioning or Wi-Fi. We were paying $2,000 a month for that, which is about all the money I had at the time. So we're living there. And before we have any startups, we have any jobs or anything like that, we're just scrambling. Like if there was a level of prostitution you could bring to LinkedIn, that's basically what I was kind of doing. Like sliding in everybody's DM saying like, oh, hey, I can do this for you. Are you interested? Oh yeah, okay, cool. You want some marketing? You want some sales stuff? I can do that. Website design? I can learn how to do that. Sure, whatever. Just whatever I could do to find some money to keep paying the bills and have a cushion so that I could explore my ideas. And so I got lucky. Um, I had hopped on an interview with a guy who I'd never met before. It was a company based in Philly for a sales job, your typical crank and dial 100 people a day kind of SDR role. And 15 mm -hmm. minutes in, I just realized I don't want this job. Like I may be broke, but at least I'm happy doing something that doesn't make me ultra miserable. So I said, pretty much that, I would be miserable in this job and I would either do a bad job and get fired or would find something better and churn in like a quarter. So you probably don't want to hire me. He, instead of just hanging up the phone on me, said, well, okay, you seem like a smart guy. I'm looking at your resume. And I had been referred to him, somebody who already worked there, who said I was you know, a good guy for this. He said, well, what do you want to do? And I was honest with him, said, hey, I want to build stuff. I'm an entrepreneur. I like to be on the foundational team of building something that offers some value and being able to direct a creative direction. And so he said, okay, cool. Well, let's spitball some ideas. So he had mentioned to me this idea of something he was doing with his team on a small level of trying to help them create an intranet around personal profiles. I figured in this remote setting, whoa, you could definitely take that and turn that into a scalable concept and then literally just get paid to do that. He said, okay, that seems interesting. Pitch me it. I made a deck. I built out like what the offering would look like, how much we would charge for, what the margins could look like, what revenues could look like if we were able to hit a certain number of sales, who, who we would target. He said, ooh, that's a great idea. I think you could run with that. And so he just said, cool, here's a hundred thousand bucks, get started. So that was enough to move out of a crappy Airbnb. At least eventually it would be. Uh, he didn't give me the money up front. He didn't trust a guy he had never met to just hand him $100,000 and say, go out and make a great startup. Trickled it in. But before he trickled it in, this is around the time that we lost our Airbnb. So we had to move out of the Airbnb and we're living in a hotel with all my stuff in my car for about seven to 10 days. But during that time, I was still working on that. I still had some other side ideas I had been developing as well. And eventually we were able to get an apartment to where I'm at now. Luckily, 
no more Airbnbs with no Wi-Fi air conditioning. We finally have a place. We don't have any furniture. Literally, I got this desk. I've got my bed. I've got a desk in my room. And that's about it in a bookshelf. So living real minimalistic. But luckily, we're able to do that. And so the same time as that, because like I mentioned, I was pretty desperate at this time. I was working on a whole bunch of different things, just throwing like pasta at the wall, seeing what would stick. And I had two other ideas that I was working on before that one came across the table. So the first one was this running app. It's basically trying to turn running cardio, specifically walking, running, biking into mm. a giant game of turf war, a, game, a gamified socialized experience for people who hate cardio, like myself. So I was working on that. And I'm not an app developer. I never really done anything similar to that before, but I thought it was a cool idea and I kept working on it. And so eventually during that time, I went through this program, got about 1500 bucks going through there for the idea, use that to develop some wireframes, to do more market research. Finally had something I liked. I built a prototype for it, just a clickable prototype with wireframes and screenshots. Started pitching it around to random people I had met in Austin and people who were in my general personal network. So one of those guys, who was actually the first person to give me a freelance contract opportunity when I moved to Austin, who I kept in contact this whole time with, he said, hey, it's a really cool idea. I've got a friend who lives here in Austin who you should talk to. I figured, I love friends. Why not bring him on? Turns out his friend was a former founder of Map My Run, which is a very popular running app that got acquired by Under Armour for 150 million bucks. He said, hey, would you like to meet my friend? He's like, dude, duh, are you serious? Like, you shouldn't even have bothered asking me. Of course I want to talk to him. So he sends him the prototype. He likes it, gets back to me. We hop on a Zoom call and a long story short, he he's on the team now as an advisor, helping me develop the direction of the team of the development and how we should build this product out. And so that's starting to pick up steam. And then another thing, which for your younger viewers, they might know, and I'm not sure if you do, but esports mm-hmm. is huge into industry around professional video game playing. And they're, they're kids younger than me who are making more than me playing games. And my parents used to turn off my PlayStation or Xbox and tell me to go outside for it. Thanks, mom. And so I had gotten involved with this organization during quarantine called Jinji Esports Conglomerate out in China on a whole bunch of different teams. One of those teams being an NBA 2K team, NBA 2K being the port for the NBA. So they had a tournament back in April. I was a commentator, didn't get paid for it or anything, but I was bored and had nothing else to do. So I figured, screw it, why not? So I did it, did a good job. And they said, hey, you know, you did a really good job. Would you like to stick with us and see if we, we have other opportunities for you? And you know, I figured, why not? So then June rolls around. They have this brand partnership with Old Spice. They need a talking head. I'm on this podcast. Obviously, you know, I like to talk. So I said, cool, I'll do that. I talked for like five hours, get paid about a thousand bucks just to talk. So of course, I'm like, oh, well, I, I love making money to do stuff I do for free. How can I keep doing that? So luckily they were interested in me working with them, but they wanted me to stay on like as a retainer, a content creator for them. I didn't know much about esports at the time. So I didn't want to commit to that fully because I still wanted to either get a job that I knew for a fact to be something I'd want to do or start a business. So I mm-hmm. said, instead, could you just sponsor me to start my own YouTube channel? They said, sure go for it. They gave me some equipment and a desktop, webcam, some headphones, some recording equipment said, yeah, go out and make some stuff. I didn't do anything. That was July. I didn't do anything for three months just because of the situation with my existential crisis and life crisis. Then I moved to Austin, had a lot more free time and a lot more confident in myself. So I did it. I made a video explaining this 2K league, which is owned by the NBA directly. And it's this new thing. It's been around for three years. There are people literally on teams with coaches, trainers, playoffs, championships, all of that. Same way the NBA is, but with the video game. 
And it's super new. A lot of people don't know, and it's very niche. And I figured a good way to create content that would be differential, that, that would be di- di- differentiated, there we go, that's the word, from other people who made 2K content would be to create some more editing, artistic style stories around it. And I make this video. Somebody at the NBA who runs their media and content team sees it, likes it, reaches out to me, says he likes it. I figured, oh, well, he's already sliding into my DMs on LinkedIn. I might as well just go for broke. So I said, hey, would you be interested in sponsoring my content? Now, mind you, I had 22 subscribers at the time, 22 Mm. subscribers. So it was a shot in the dark, but he liked my video. He said, okay, well, if you give me a good pitch, I'll at least hear you out. We probably can't because we usually don't work with, you know, content creators as small as you being their NBA, obviously 22 is not a big number for anybody. But we hop on a call, I pitch him, and long story short, I got sponsorship from the NBA that rolled over in opportunities with McDonald's and with Gen G and with other brands that I'm currently in the process of working with now. And now I'm kind of running all three at the same time and in a much better position, both mentally, financially, and just spiritually, personally. So now, and so with all that, it sounds like, hey, you know, moving that off, that move to Austin, getting kind of out of the bubble, pushing yourself and looking for those opportunities was is kind of what was needed. And it's, it's presented a lot of opportunities once you oh, started yeah. getting out there. So, well, now as we start to wrap up and that kind of brings us to the, the present of where you're at today and always more things to go through than time to do it. But as we're, as we kind of start to wrap up the podcast, I always have two questions and it seems like a good, a good point to hit on those now. So the first question is along the journey that you just talked about, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? The worst decision I have ever made was betting everything on a pipe dream. To me, entrepreneurship and startups are risky business. They, they just are. Like, there's no getting around that. You can try to de-risk something, but it's risk mitigation, not risk absolution. Like, there's going to be some involved no matter what you do. Mm. Um, and one of the things that really messed me up, especially during COVID, is that I was so desperate to just hit on something that I pretty much threw all of my money into one thing without really knowing if it was going to work. And it didn't. And that was partially the reason why I had to move in with my dad. Cause even with not having a job and the start of going under, I still had a good amount of savings that would have been enough for me to have gone to Austin and just lived off of my savings back in August and then have done the same thing I did with the contract work and freelance stuff until I finally came up with a good idea. But mm. I YOLO'd all my money into you know some stocks into some different things that people had told me like oh man this is gonna work and I just figured oh it's gotta work it's just gotta work and threw it all in there thinking that you know there's no way I could just lose it all and then I did so by far there's been a ton of mistakes and to only say one Mm. is really difficult but that was the one that set me back the longest I can't complain because everything happens for a reason if one thing you know like the butterfly effect if one thing was different I might not be where I am. So maybe it was important for me to make that mistake, but I definitely wouldn't make it again on purpose. All right. Definitely sounds like a good mistake to learn from and, uh, and one that uh, can, it can certainly understand how you make it. So now we'll jump to the second question, which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? One piece of advice I would give them would be to figure out what makes you different. I think the biggest thing that I have seen so far, because all the things I'm working on, I mean, I'm, I'm a small town guy. I don't have a huge network. I'm not the smartest guy in the world by far. And even for the things I'm working on, they're very small right now. Like 
the zap idea I've been working on. It's just wireframes and a decent pitch deck. My YouTube channel even still only has about 200 subscribers. And then the company I'm working on is only doing like four or five figures in terms of revenue. So it's not major, but putting yourself in the right places, taking chances and being different more than anything will get people to notice you. Like the reason I was able to get the sponsorships with McDonald's and with the NBA and these other brands is because my brand, my content, the way I presented myself was so different from other people in the industry that even with a small fan base, they could see the unique value. Because if you're like everybody else, if you're just like one of the larger competitors in your space, then why would they pick you versus them? What, what will be the reason? You're not offering anything unique. So why wouldn't they just go with the safer option that's worked for other people? But if you're different, even if you're small, you can sell people on the idea that the value you offer is something that even though you're small is unique and that uniqueness can sell you, at least can get you in front of somebody long enough for you to do your magic on a pitch. And mm. so if there's anything that you could do with minimal resources, with minimal time and minimal following or whatever metrics are important for you and your business being different by far. Especially, I know you understand that with IP and patent law. Like if you are a small company, but you own very desirable IP, you create you know, a new invention or you have some kind of proprietary software or something like that, that's a major value prop and competitive advantage. That gives you a leg up on any of the competition, whether their balance sheet is in the billions or millions and yours is in the thousands. You know, you can't compete with something that they don't own. No, I definitely agree with that. And I think that figuring out what makes you unique, what you can offer that's different and how you can set yourself apart definitely is a good place to, to start from in, in order to make sure that you set yourself up for a road for success. Well, as we wrap up, you know, so we have, this is a reminder to everybody, we have the bonus question that uh, we'll, I'll talk a little bit about Destin, which is going to be on intellectual property, and we'll drill down just a little bit about that. So if you're interested in little intellectual property, patents and trademarks and whatnot, feel free to stay tuned. Otherwise, as we wrap up the uh, normal uh, normal portion of the podcast, definitely want to um, thank you for coming on, Destin. Now, if people want to reach out to, they want to find out more about what you're doing, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be a user, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to connect up and reach out and find out more? I'd say for all of the above, the best way to reach me would be to just add me on LinkedIn, Destin George Bell. That's Destin like the city in Florida, and then George like Washington, Bell like Taco. Uh, you can find me on there. I'll be the guy in the blue hoodie as I'm wearing in this. I guess it's a podcast. You might not be able to see this, but blue entrepreneur hoodie, young entrepreneur, business innovation, esports, the headline. I love to talk to anybody who's interested in chatting about anything, best friend, investment, esports, or just chatting. So find me there. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, find out more, and uh, certainly plenty or a lot of uh, a lot of different things, Destin's going on that would be uh, great to, to get involved with. So, well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, um, feel free to reach out to us and apply to be on the show. Just go to inventiveguest.com and we'd love to share your journey. Also, a couple more things. If you're a listener, one, make sure to click subscribe so you know when all the awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so new people can find out about the podcast. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents or trademarks or anything else, reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Just go to strategymeeting.com. So now as we've wrapped up the normal portion of the podcast, we get to flip the tables a bit and you get to ask, uh, you know, you get to ask me one of uh, a question that or a question, which is what is your top intellectual property question? So with that, I'll turn it over to you and you get to ask me the question this time. Awesome. I actually do want to ask you about this because this is something I've been thinking a lot about going on to my cardio fitness app idea I told you about. 
it's very difficult to really put IP protection on software. So for me, developing a digital product in a very saturated environment where I'm dealing with companies like Nike and Under Armour and Asics and all these other companies with a lot more money on their balance sheet, even though my idea is different and unique, once I get some traction and they see what I'm doing, what is something that I can do on an IP or patent level to protect myself from one of these big guys just throwing money at it to copy my style and my infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably a question that a lot of entrepreneurs have, and it's, you know, whether it's software or anything else, the question is, is, hey, if I come up with a great idea, a great invention, but a lot of time, money, and effort was to stop the bigger guy that has more time, more money, more resources to just come along and squash me. Because even if you have a patent or you have other intellectual property, what's to stop them from simply dragging you through court, outspending you, outlasting you until you can kind of go away. And so usually there's a couple things that you can always think about doing. And it's one is, you know, Every, every uh, competitor, every person that, you know, every uh, potential big business always has a competitor. So if you think of Apple has Samsung, Pepsi has Coca-Cola, you know, Hershey's has Mars and all of them always have a competitor or, you know, somebody that's in second or third place that's always wanting to make or get to first place. And so a lot of times if you have somebody that's, hey, there's a big company that they're starting to encroach in on your intellectual property, assuming that you have some, you can go to their competitor. You can say, hey, we have a great idea. We have a great invention. We have this patent or trademark or other brands or whatnot. And then they can mm -hmm. say, hey, why don't, we can't defend it, but why don't you take it? pick it up, acquire from us or take a license, it'll give you that competitive advantage and you're able to, uh, you know, eclipse what your competitor is doing. So that's kind of one thing to think about. The other thing you can always look at is, you know, they get a bad rap in the industry, but uh, there's, there's what's called patent trolls. And basically what they are, their businesses is that they go out, they don't, make or manufacture produce anything but their business is to take patents that are out there that are valuable and go enforce it against those that are infringing so people don't like them in the sense that because they're not making anything they're not producing anything they're just suing right. people you know they're saying it's not fair on the other hand if you're a small business you're saying hey some of these people are coming along they're using our intellectual property we don't have the resources they do then sometimes that's a, a reasonable or viable option the last one I'll throw out there and then we'll wrap up is you can also think about sometimes the timing is just not right in the sense that you may say, hey, yes, they're infringing us. We're not big enough now. Let's give ourselves a year or two. Let's grow. Let's get us a bit more revenue coming in, a bit more foundation under, under us. And then we'll go and we'll actually start to enforce it. So, you know, then you can say, okay, we can't do it today. But in a year, two or three years, when we have a bit more traction, in more income and a bit more ability to actually stand up against the, the bigger dogs, then you can go enforce them. So that's kind of where I would always look at kind of, if you're looking at intellectual property, one is you have to see if you, what you can do to protect, what you can do to and secure it, and then how you can go about enforcing it and kind of what options you have. So with that, We'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. I appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast, Destin. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to have you on and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate your insight on the IP side. Absolutely. <laughs>